For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain Every moment in between There'll be joy and there'll be pain I can't worry about the future Or change a thing about my past I've got this moment to believe And I'm gonna make it last I am filled To be emptied This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. continue to ask that you speak to us today Lord that you remove anything that is not truth from Michael and I's lips Lord that if we mess anything up or say anything wrong that it will be truly forgotten but that only your truth would be heard Lord may it settle in our souls in our minds and in our hearts today yes. as we give thanks to you in Jesus name Amen 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 I remember um when I was younger, I literally could, we'd be driving along and Carrie and I would be looking for a street that we were trying to turn down so that we wouldn't take one of my shortcuts that always gets us lost. And she'd be like, we're looking for James Street, you know, and I would look and we'd be about halfway down this block and I'd see the street sign there. And then a block later, I'd see the next street line and I'd be like, oh, we're coming up on James Street. She's like, how do you know that? I said, because I can see it. She was like, you can't see that. Yeah, it's, next one's James Street. We'd pull up and it was James Street. This was before Google Maps, so I couldn't just walk, look over and, and see what was going on there. You know? But my, my vision was like 2018, like it was really good. And I just got used to that being the way my vision worked. And then I started realizing at some point while I was preaching that sometimes I was stumbling over a couple of the words. And I'm like, I've never done that before when I was reading. What is causing that? And I realized what I was actually doing was reading the shapes of the words. I had read so much that I could tell that by the way the word that was on the page that that's what the word was. But I was not actually seeing the word anymore. It was no longer in focus the way that it was. And so I started recognizing that it was time for me to get reading glasses. So I started with reading glasses mostly when I preached. I would put the reading glasses on and I would preach. But then I realized that I was starting to have a hard time seeing the computer screen. Then I started realizing I couldn't see the street sign two blocks away. And before I knew it, I ended up with trifocals. I never knew at any point in any of that process when I was losing focus. I only knew that I couldn't function as well as I thought I should be able to. And I just kept um, going, kept trying, kept compensating, kept trying to figure out a way to make it happen. Way too often we do the same thing. And we do it with spiritual eyes as well as with physical eyes. We sometimes lose focus and we don't realize we've lost focus. And most of the time when we do that, when we tend to lose focus the most, is when circumstances cause us to lose focus. And we start trying to read the circumstances and we are too close to the situation and we are not able to see it correctly. And we start losing focus and we start wondering, 
why we feel the way we feel. And, and even though we're trying to compensate and we're trying to figure things out, we never quite are able to do what we think we should be able to do in the situation. And that's why we've been talking to you about gratitude, because so often when we lose focus, the first thing that goes is our desire to praise God for what is good in our lives. And we start losing focus partly because we are focused on what is bad in our lives, and we don't see how that begins to bleed over even to the good. And all of a sudden, even the good things, you're either waiting for the other shoe to drop or they're not as good as they really are. So here's what we want you to consider as we do our last uh, sermon on gratitude. What is it that makes me lose focus on God? All right, we are going to be in Matthew today. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 26. It's a familiar passage, um, but we want to take a look at it with fresh eyes. And we think we've got some things maybe you've heard before, but maybe you need to be reminded. And maybe some things that you haven't heard before from this passage that will help you to understand it even more deeply than you have before. If it is brand new to you, if you're not yet a believer, or if you've just never really studied this passage on your own, then you are in for a treat, because you, we're going to give you both barrels right from the very beginning. So that's exciting. <clears throat> well, we just had Thanksgiving three days ago, right? And I hope everybody's Thanksgiving was good. I know I had to take some, some stomach medicine yesterday, because <laughs> uh, I've eaten too much pie. I'm not going to lie, uh, but think of all of the prep preparations that you made, right, oh, for all yes. of your family to yes. come into that gathering, and I know all of our family comes to our house because we have the biggest house right now, and we have the most bedrooms, because there are a lot of prep that has to happen in our house before they come. Oh, yes. We got to wash the linens. Yes. We got to, you know, clean the house. We got to clean the toilets, because, you know, everybody needs this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of prep that happens, um, and it usually takes me a whole day just to get ready for everybody to come in. They're flying in, and they're staying overnight, and all of those things, and it, on one hand, it's, it's a workout, and it's a lot of work, but on the other hand, I love it because it's out of love. I love it when all of my children are home. I love it when my mom is home and my brother comes home, and it's worth it. My feet might hurt, my back might hurt, but it's worth it in the end. <laughs> That's right. Right? So right. if you look at Matthew chapter 26, if you're there, say amen. 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 Oh, I like it. Right before that, beginning in verse 17, we're going to start in 20, but right before that, the reason I say all that is in 17, it says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? And so he tells them to go ask a certain man, and, and they, he will give them a spot in his house. And it says in 19, so the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal mm -hmm. there. And so here, Passover is a big deal in the Jewish culture. And mm -hmm. so, and they, they, I think that some of the guys even had that intuition feeling like this is important. Yeah. If yeah. Jesus is really making this important, and so we love him, and we want to prepare everything for him, and so they're doing that here. Yeah. They're preparing. Yeah, I think this is this is the place where in John, um, everybody forgets to wash feet, and Jesus washes their feet. But I think part of the reason for that is because they were so busy trying to make sure everything was right, they forgot this one detail. Have you ever been there? Where I always like, I always when I leave an apartment, the apartment to go somewhere, I always end up walking back up the stairs because I've forgotten something, and I've got to go back up. And th in this case, they they forgot to wash the feet, and it was a perfect example for Jesus to teach them that. 
But then they, they get together and it says in verse 20, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the son of man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. Now, we're going to talk a lot about that Last Supper uh, tonight. But one of the things I want to set up for you is just kind of pull all of the different versions from the Gospels together and explain what just happened. Whenever the, uh, whenever the, uh, in the Roman culture, whenever everyone ate together, they didn't sit in chairs like we do. They reclined on pillows on one elbow, and they, so they would incline on their left elbow, and they would eat with their right hand. And so that meant that they were like right next to each other, and they would talk over their shoulder to each other and talk to each other. And so there's a point where Jesus says this, and you notice every single disciple asks, is it me? It's like every one of them had something in their hearts that let them know that it could be them. It could be them. And so they were like, oh no, maybe, like I know this isn't going the way I expected it to and I know he's not doing all the things I would want him to do and we haven't set up any kingdom yet and nobody knows who's gonna be on his right hand or on his left. Like, what, do I have it in my heart? Jesus, is it me? And they ask all the way around. Well, in another passage, Peter is across the way from him, but John is sitting, is right, laying right next to him. And John is probably in front of him. So that Peter looks over and he points at John. He's like, ask him who it is. <laughs> and so it says that John leans back on Jesus's breast. That's why, I mean, it would be weird if they were in chairs, right? If he leaned over onto Jesus' breast, if they were in chairs, that would be really weird. But if he's leaning on his elbow and he just kind of leans back, he's going to end up on Jesus' breast. And he says, who is it, Lord? And he says, the one who dips the bread in this company, dips it in, and then he hands it to Judas. Now, at some point, Judas also asks, is it me? He has to. Notice he's the last one. He has to ask, since everyone else asks so he can provide cover for himself, so that they don't know that it really is him. If he hadn't asked, he would have been singled out. But in this way, he's asking, not because he thinks Jesus knows, but because he hopes Jesus doesn't. And Jesus says, yeah, it's you. What you are about to do, do quickly. Now, even though that passes with John, imagine John, imagine the shock of John. Oh my goodness, it's the guy who's been handling the money all this time. And they'd already been suspecting him of maybe stealing off the top. Oh my goodness, it's him. Like, and it, and, but he's across the way from Peter and Jesus goes on. From here, Jesus just continues on like nothing happened. Judas gets up and leaves and it says the rest of the disciples just thought that Jesus sent Judas on an errand. He's just on a mission, has probably has something to do with the treasury. And so he leaves. And then Jesus just goes on with what he's doing. So it's not as crazy as it sounds that Jesus would actually say, yeah, it's Judas, this is the one. And everyone at the table not really know. John is perplexed, what do I do? Peter's over there, I can't shout, Peter, grab him. You know, like, what do I do? 
And so, but then Jesus goes on, and this is in the middle of the Passover meal, the Seder meal. And because it's in the middle of the meal, the last thing they want to do is get up and ruin the meal. There's a sense that this is an important meal. They don't know yet that this is going to be called the Last Supper, but they know something's up. So the last thing they want to do is interrupt Jesus. And so as we come to this place where we see what Jesus is doing, think about where Jesus is. All of his life, he's been leading up to this moment. This is the last Passover meal he's going to share with his disciples. He knows what's going to happen, but he also knows the pain and torment that it's not only going to do for him, but for them. And this is his last real chance to show how much he loves them. Mm -hmm. So Jesus doesn't get distracted by the circumstances. Instead, he focuses on the important things. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So before we get to the main, starting in verse 26, before we get to that, I want to explain Jewish culture to you guys a yes. little bit. Um, something that just really brings more, even more to, to view what the Last Supper means, okay? So the Word of God, while timeless, does not stand outside of time, correct? Mm, yeah. And God selected for Jesus to come at the just the right time. And it is written to real people in a language they understood, taking into account all of the customs. Yes, as a people. The so, Jewish culture as right. much as the Greek or Roman culture. So because our culture is far different, right? We're far different from the Jewish culture than theirs was. We tend to miss some of the subtle nuances that the people of Jesus' day would have picked up on right yes, away. That's right. Which adds to our understanding of God's word. So when it came, so we're going to talk about, I'm going to share what happens in the Jewish culture when it comes to engagement and marriage. And then we're going to come back to 26. Right. Okay. So when it came to getting married in Jesus' day, there was a certain sequence of events that happened. First, the young man, often accompanied by his father, would journey to the young woman's house and sit with her and her father. Can you imagine? Guys, <laughs> that'd be nerve-wracking. The young man would state his desire to take the woman as his wife, and then a bridal price would be negotiated. Between okay? the fathers. The prospective bride's <laughs> father would ask much because his daughter was precious to him. How much can you give me? She's precious to me. And when a price was finally agreed upon, the groom's father would take and pour a cup of wine and hand it to his son. And his son, in turn, would take that cup and hold it out to the woman he hoped to marry, saying, this cup I offer to you. And that was his way of saying, I love you and I offer you all that I have to give. I offer you my life. Yes. Now, at that point, the young woman had to make a decision. She could either refuse the cup or she could take and drink from it. Now, gals, that's nerve-wracking, <laughs> right? I mean, I can't imagine you're surrounded and he's asking you and you're like, should I drink from it or should I not? <laughs> that would be, who that'd be nerve-wracking. So to drink from it was to either enter into a binding covenant and to tie her life to that of he, from whom she took the cup. If she took it and drank from the cup and she was accepting his she was accepting his proposal in that moment. In effect, she was saying, I accept your life and I give you mine in return. That's right. At that point, the couple was in the language of our day engaged. engaged. 
to one another. But it meant something. But unlike in our day, the engagement was binding. Yes. Okay, so that was a big deal of girls to drink out of that cup. The only way to break it off was to get a divorce. That's how serious this commitment was. So the moment the woman took the cup that was offered and drank from it, she was binding herself to that man. They were committing their lives to one another. Right. Now, even though they had pledged themselves to one another, it would often be about a year or so, generally, in the Jewish culture, before that couple would actually get married. So during, the time, during that time, the man, or the future groom, had to go and build a house often attached to his father's house for he and his bride-to-be to live in. The bride-to-be would use that time to get ready for her marriage. So while the man is building the house and doing all this prep work for them to live in, the bride is preparing herself for marriage as well. Now when all was ready and at a time unknown to the bride, the groom would come to her father's house and he would not enter the building or the dwelling nor would he knock at the door. Instead, he would call out. Can you imagine? He'd call out with a loud shout, hey, woman. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd probably choose better words than that. But but (laughs) (laughs) Call out with a loud shout, calling his bride to come to him. She always had to be ready because she never knew the day nor the hour in which he would come for her. Upon hearing his shout, she would drop what she was doing, put on her wedding clothes, and go out to meet him and at that point they would be married and after the marriage was consummated then they would they would be announced to the guest and they would have a seven day wedding feast can you imagine seven days of partying yeah but moms and dads you thought it was bad to pay for the reception yeah we have a reception that lasts what two three couple hours. three hours this, this is, is like a, seven a whole seven days, days. Of, yeah that's and you've got to provide wine the whole time yes that's right might we put that's up right. you know we got to have the wine there um, otherwise, it was an insult if yes, you ran out to of wine. The, to the guests. Now, that's the background that's going to help us understand our scripture passage today. Because Jesus, he ate the Passover with his disciples, and it's going to change things up and give a new meaning to that celebration or that Thanksgiving. Okay? Yeah, because the other layer to that is this is also the Passover meal. Right. And so there are also things that we learn from knowing what the Passover meal is about about who Jesus is and why he's choosing this as her, his last experience with his disciples. So let's start with verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat this is of my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant or promise right? Covenant's a fancy word for promise. Covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And what did they do? Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So these words describing Jesus's actions of blessing it and giving thanks that's used in this story is the same blessing and giving thanks that we see in the feeding of the Mm 5,000. So Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And we learned at the very first First Sunday, the first week of our series, we learned that there's two things about communion, right? Why we do communion, why we offer it here at the jar every week. 
There are some churches that don't offer it every week, but here at the JAR, we offer it and, and allow you to do that. And there were two words that we talked about when it came to communion. One is Eucharist, mm -hmm. which means Thanksgiving, right. right? So when we take communion, we're thanking God for all that Jesus has done for us. But it's also called communion because through it, we commune with God, right? We pray, we reflect, right? We meditate. So we're communing with God and we're communing together as a, as a body of believers, right. okay? Right. So let me share this with you. During the Passover, there were four cups of wine that were drunk. Okay, so we're here at the Passover with the guys, with Jesus. There were four cups of wine that were drunk. Each cup represented something different. The third cup represented redemption. It was the cup of salvation, and it was drunk near the end of the meal. The man who was leading the Passover would take the cup and give thanks and offer the blessing. And this is what they would say in the Jewish culture. Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. That's what they would say when they would go to do that. Then everyone present would take their cups and drink along with the one who was leading them. That's what Jesus did in this moment, that night, as we expect he changed, but he, he, he did that. He gave thanks, he blessed, he said those things. But if you look back at verse 27, it says, and he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. Each of you drink from it, right? So Jesus took his third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup of salvation, gave thanks for it, saying, blessed are you, O Lord, king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then he offered it to them, and he invited all of them to drink from it, saying, this is my blood of the covenant. So he's taken it a, ne a next step further, right? And, and in doing that, <clears throat> he's offering, he's making a proposal to them. I am willing to give you everything that I have, just like the groom does in the Jewish wedding. I'm giving you everything that I have. Will you accept it and give back to me everything that you have? And the disciples had an opportunity then to choose him or not to choose him. I don't know how, how Jesus could do in that moment. Because let's talk about that for a moment. Can you imagine how he felt? He knew Peter was going to deny him three times. He had already told Peter that before this happens. And now we know Judas, he knows Judas is the one that's getting ready to betray him. It, it's, right? it actually happens right after Right, this. right after. Mm -hmm. And so... He sets this ritual for us that we know is for all of them, but I just can't imagine. You, you can't think imagine. about it. If you're, if you're thinking, man, I'm glad I wasn't Judas, right? I'd rather be one of the other 11. But right after this in verse 31, Jesus tells them, tonight you're all going to desert me. Only one of you is going to betray me, but all of you are going to desert me. And that's when Peter's like, even if everybody else betrays you, I would die for you. And that's when he says, you're going to deny me three times. They're all going to deny him. Peter's going to deny him three times. Judas is going to betray him. And I imagine knowing going in, my best friends in the world are going to deny me. I'm going to be on the cross, and God is going to forsake me. 
And I'm going to, for the first time ever, be out of relationship with my father. Like the, the whole concept is more than we can really grasp. And yet, Jesus, in this moment, takes time to give thanks to the Father for what's happening. That's an, that's an attitude that's foreign to us, isn't it? In that moment, what we'd really like to do is either dwell on what's coming or dwell on ourselves and how miserable it's going to be. Or think about how little time we have left. But Jesus doesn't do that. He is grateful. And the reason is threefold. One, Jesus focused on the moment. Not on what was coming. It wasn't about what God was going to do. Or what Jesus had to do. It was about where he was and what was happening right now. Jesus focused on the moment, not on what was coming. The second thing is, Jesus focused on his people, not on himself. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen to him. Actually, I think the reason that he tells him, you're going to deny me, you're going to desert me, it's going to happen, is so that when it happened, they would know that he already knew. And he had already been thankful for them and for what God was doing. It was a way of saying, when this happens, you can still come back to me. He didn't focus on what was coming and he didn't focus on himself. He focused on the moment. He focused on his people. And finally, Jesus focused on the covenant, not on the circumstances. The most important thing that he could do is make way for a new covenant. Because his children were lost without it. And so the promise was more important than anything else. He stayed on mission. Yes. He stayed on mission. And I don't know about you all, but I, I've been betrayed by close friends. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think betrayal is one of the hardest things mm -hmm. as human beings that we can go through. There's a lot of things that we can lose in this life that are painful and hard. But when you have shared intimate things with someone or you have spent time and shed tears with someone and then they come back and betray you, um, it's one of the hardest things that you'll, you ever have to, to come and, and, yeah. and rise above. Right. And so for me personally, I don't know, maybe none of you have ever had to go through that and I hope you never do. It's, yeah. it's a horrible feeling yeah. to be betrayed by people that you love. But if you have... Here's Jesus in this moment, and he knows he's going to be betrayed ahead right. of time. Right. And there's so much that we can learn here. He stayed on mission. He focused on the promise of God. He focused on the mission. He focused on everyone around him, not the ones who were betraying him. Right. And in that moment, he focused on this is what I have to do right here in this moment for the guys that are in this room with me. Those of us who, who have struggled with bad habits know what I mean when I say he knew he had to do the next right thing. Right. Whatever else was going on, whatever might come out of it, whatever might be the consequences, the only way that I stay pure is if I do the next right thing. And so that's what he did. And so what does he start with? He blesses it mm -hmm. and he gives thanks. And he gives thanks. 
And I don't know about you all, but to say thank you in that moment, yeah. ooh, I, I can't even, I look back at the time in my life when I was betrayed by people who I loved, like family, and to think that in that moment I said thanks to God. <laughs> I'll be honest, I didn't. I didn't. So then to see this story and see that Jesus did that, it's just, wow. Just you, wow. You guys have heard the story, but this fits right in here, so it's my turn. Um, I spent six years building a ministry that I was proud of. And in one year, we saw 27 people come to Christ. And the following year, I was forced to sit for three hours and listen to people talk about a person that didn't exist. But they gave that person the name Michael Rogers. And they said terrible things about me. And I just sat there shaking my head like, that's not me. I would never do that. That's not what I did. That's not how it happened. There are people who know. And I'm just sitting in the front, in front of everybody, where I can't make any gestures or comments or anything. And I'm just boiling and seething. And I'm like, this isn't right. And I swear in that moment, there was an empty seat right beside me. And I swear I felt Jesus sit down and lean into my ear and say, if you think this is bad, you should have seen my trial. And I thought, what did Jesus do? And quick as a wink, I heard the scripture. He was silent as a sheep before the shearers. I was not grateful in that moment. As a matter of fact, it took months, years, before I was grateful for that moment. But I see now. I look back at that and I realize that if in that moment I had been more worried about the people instead of myself, if I had been in the moment and recognized all of the things that God had allowed me to do, and if I had trusted God for what he was going to do through me later, then I would have broken bread and blessed it, and I would have given God thanks. You see, this requires an eternal perspective that we can't have on our own. It isn't possible. And we can't kick ourselves if we don't measure up to it. Right, right. But what we can do is see it through his eyes instead of ours. And recognize that even in those moments, Romans 8, 28 still rings true. Because he will make even those moments work out for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, if we have a man, fully man, fully God, who died for us and rose again, and gave us an opportunity to be able to look back at a situation like that and see the blessing and the grace that came from it, and to be thankful for it, who else in the world would you want to follow? 
So this is our B today. Be focused on God. Be focused on Jesus. Be focused on the man who experienced everything you experienced. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was beaten. People spread rumors about him that weren't true. He was left alone in those last moments. He was separated by his own voluntary will from his father. And he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he also said, the debt is paid. It is finished. And three days later, he rose from the grave like he knew he would. He saw the future, but he didn't dwell on the bad things that were about to happen. What he saw was that there was a father that he trusted that he knew, he knew, had organized all of this and he taught us anyway. John 14 through 17 is one of my favorite stretches of the scripture. And that happens after this story. He's, they sing a song, a hymn. They go out to the Mount of Olives. And on the way to the Mount of Olives, he gives us four chapters of the greatest wisdom that God has ever known. Because he wanted his kids to know him. Then he spent 40 days with his disciples to make sure they understood exactly what it was that he did. And exactly why and exactly what it means to be a part of the kingdom. It literally says in Acts that Jesus spent that 40 days talking about the kingdom. That kingdom is who you are an heir to if you believe in Jesus Christ. You are part of that kingdom now. Praise God. And if you don't yet, if you're not yet a believer, then this is your opportunity all the things that you did, all the things you experienced, all the ways that the world has not lived up to your expectations, all of the ways that you have not lived up to others' expectations, all the reasons you can come up with for God to hate you and all the reasons you can come up with for you to hate God, and he still died for you. You are still spoken for, and God still would come. And die for you. And rise again and give you the cup and say I have a proposal for you will you drink it let me bless it first and let me tell you about my covenant I will never leave you nor forsake you even to the end of the age So Paul remembers this. And one of the things we thought you guys would like to see is how, how somebody puts that into practice, right? So Paul is, is, has been arrested. He's been before Festus. And he's about ready to go to appeal to Caesar. And they're on a ship. And things are going terrible. He's been bitten by a snake and lived. He's, he's had all this crazy stuff happen. Timing has been bad. He's way behind schedule. And, you know, you don't miss an appointment with Caesar. And now the ship's about to go down. And in Acts 27, verses 33 to 38, mm -hmm. 
They're about, it, he knows it's going to be bad. He knows it's crazy. It says, Acts 27, verse 33, Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your head will perish. Verse 35. <laughs> then he took some bread, and he gave things to God before them all, and he broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. And after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. Everything looked good, but then the ship hits a reef, and they all have to abandon ship. But not one soul is lost. Because Paul, in the middle of his distress, focused on the moment, focused on the people, focused on the eternal covenant, broke bread, and gave thanks. Before the miracle happened, during the storm, because of Jesus and his grace and his good news, and how many of you know that out of that 276, there were probably some converts by the time it was done. <laughs> So what we want you to experience is what Paul prays for the Colossian church. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Why? He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave us our sins. Amen. That's right. That's right. So for you not yet, are you ready to drink the cup? That's right. For those of us who are all readies, there's another story in Matthew 25 that Jesus tells. There are 10 virgins and they're waiting for the bridegroom and they don't know when he's gonna show up, just like the bride is not gonna know when to show up. Those, those virgins are supposed to be attending the bride and the groom. Five of them have remembered to get oil for their lamps, but the other five have not, they're not prepared. And they ask the five who have oil, hey, will you give us some of your oil? And they say, no, because if we give you our oil, none of us will have enough for the bridegroom. Go buy oil in the marketplace like we did. And while they're on their way to the marketplace, the groom comes. And the five who were prepared went in with the groom to celebrate. When the other five come later and they knock on the door, let us in, we have our oil now. The groom says, I don't even know who you are. Listen, those of you who are already believers, stay prepared. Stay focused on Jesus. Don't get lost in whether you like church or not. Don't get lost in whether you like that preaching or not. Don't get lost in whether you like that couch in that foyer or not. Don't get lost in whether it's pews or chairs traditional music or contemporary. Don't get lost on whether they pray enough, sing enough, preach enough, whatever it is, focus on Jesus. And then live in the moment. 
Think of others before yourself. And remember the covenant that he made for you. And you will be ready. That's right. Jesus offers us the cup, but we don't have to take it, right? But he offers it to us anyways. Just like the groom, the future groom, offers it to his bride. Yes. Right? Yes. The other thing is, Jesus paid the bride price in his blood. Yes. Right? So the conversation between father and future groom happen, and there's a price that's negotiated. We don't have to negotiate anything for God. That's Jesus right. has done it for us. Amen. Right? With his blood. The third thing is, just as the groom would go to prepare a place for his bride at his father's house, so Jesus has gone to prepare a home for you yes. in his father's house. Hallelujah. In the gospel of John, Jesus com comforts us with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Yes. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Right. And finally, Finally, because the Holy Spirit is the seal guaranteeing that Jesus will come again yes. to call you to his side. Remember how I said the groom would stand outside the bride's dwelling place and with a loud shout, yes. invite her to join him. Well, scripture says that when Jesus returns, because yes. he will, <laughs> he will call us to his side and he will do it with a loud shout as well. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, Amen. with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Forever. Y'all, the groom is coming for his bride, and like the bride... In Jesus' day, we need to be ready. We don't know the hour or the time or how long it's going to be before he comes, but we know he's coming, and when he does, we want to be ready. Are you ready? If you enjoyed our teaching today, we have great news. On January 7th, the JAR will be adding a second gathering. Starting with the new year, we will offer two times on Sunday the new one at 10.30 a.m. and our current one at 4 p.m. Come learn how to be a disciple maker as God fills us so that we can empty for others. I am filled to be empty.